The opinions expressed in this podcast are individual and are not necessarily representative of Spirit Live or Toronto Metropolitan University. Welcome racing fans to another thrilling episode of F1 Mailbag Madness. I'm Alexa and I'm here to dive headfirst into the high octane world of Formula One alongside my fantastic co-host Marshall Crocker. That's right Alexa, I'm Marshall, your fellow Formula One enthusiast and I can't wait to unpack all the excitement, the drama and all the adrenaline pumping moments that this incredible sport has to offer. Well, if you're new to the show, Mailbag Madness, this is where we bring you the latest in Formula One news, dissect the most exhilarating races and share our in-depth analyses on the drivers, teams, and everything else that makes Formula One the pinnacle of motorsport. That's not all, folks. We also have something special in store for you. This show is all about you, our fantastic audience. We're going to throw open the doors to our virtual mailbags. You can send in your questions, comments, and insights. That way we can answer your burning questions and share your opinions on the air. So whether you're a diehard F1 fanatic or just dipping your toes into the world of racing, Mailbag Madness is the podcast that's got it all. From the twists and turns of the track to the inside scoop on the personalities and stories behind the helmets, we're your one-stop shop for all things Formula One. So buckle up and get ready for a wild ride through the world of Formula One. This is Mailbag Madness. Welcome everybody to the third ever episode of Mailbag Madness. I'm your host Alexa Kosvik. I'm here with Marshall Crocker. Marshall, how's it going on this uh, Friday afternoon? Back at it again, huh? Yeah, it's going good as ever. We're in the uh, kind of the peak of the season here. We got the weekly races every week. So uh, no, great time to be talking F1. Yeah, we're on the last race of a triple header. And my indications are, judging by the practice one results, Verstappen is currently 16th and Perez is 18th. So we might have a good indication of a, of a great race weekend. Might see some unexpected surprises, but you and I have already touched on this race. Another sprint weekend. We love the track. One of the best ones on the circuit. But I guess to kind of kick things off, Marshall, we have to recap the Mexican Grand Prix. Um, what did you think? I mean, obviously more entertaining than some of the previous races we've seen in past seasons. Perez, obviously, after turn one, ended his race. Very emotional on his side. Verstappen, again, coming out on top. Mercedes showing good pace. McLaren with the resurgence in, in Lando Norris kind of making his way all the way all the way up to P5 after starting, I think, 18th or 19th. But I guess kind of your initial reaction from the race. And uh, yeah, what did you think of uh, Perez's woes continuing uh, down south? Yeah, it, it was it, it was a really good weekend, I think, by Mexico standards. I think a lot of people the last couple of years with the Mexican Grand Prix, especially the uh, the track layout, have complained about the you know the difficulty in passing anywhere but the front straightaway and, and, and just some of the issues with the track. And I think in terms of race quality, there were so many big moments um, that the, the past race weekend that I think did make it a really, really worthwhile uh, race on the calendar, especially at this point in the season. Because I think the biggest moment, obviously, is the Perez storyline going on right now. That's really the only only driver market story we have uh, to talk about driver transfers potentially for 2023 into 2024. So I think the fact that, you know, his issues kicked off literally in turn one. I mean, the qualifying was better. Um, I was I was at least happy for him with that because that's really been his issue all season. Like Saturday is just, it's not where his abilities are. We talked a little bit about that last week and why that Red Bull just doesn't suit um, Perez for qualifying. But I mean, turn one, as again, as a, a former slash semi-current driver myself, like that emotion, that feeling of when the pressure is on you and you have that, you know, big opportunity to get aggressive early on, to, you know, put yourself ahead of the game. It potentially could have found himself P1 after the first corner, ahead of not only his teammate, but the very fast yeah. uh, early Ferrari pace. But just, I mean, the mistakes he got in his own head, I think a little bit and just forgot, forgot the spatial awareness that is crucial to Formula One 
more than per- perhaps any other series in the world. So that was 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 just tragic for him. And you you saw how emotional he was there, almost crying post race. And you, you really got a feel for him. But overall, I mean, so many fun moments there. Like that the whole just Lando up and down the field storyline, like back from the seventeenth to tenth, back to fourteenth, up to fifth. Like the guy was on flat out race pace. I think he was top, maybe top two in the whole grid, aside from maybe Max. Watch. But it was incredible to watch. It was great to see him really test that, you know, race pace and that um, the actual racecraft that I think we haven't maybe seen super much lately from the McLarens. I mean, they've 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 been in positions where they can battle with mostly Hamilton and the Mercedes, but to a lesser extent Ferrari. But uh, this week, no, he really had to go like through the field. We got to see the McLaren against some of those slower cars, and there were just a lot of really interesting storylines. I mean, Ricardo was the big one for qualifying, how he went backwards relatively gradually throughout the whole race and i think it was a really promising performance for saturday like i would i did not expect him to even make the top 10 in quality let alone p4 so credit to him on that but i think we saw the real pace in that second race and he didn't look that much more promising than yuki so i don't think we i don't think we learned a ton about the major storylines other than maybe um perez uh, you know turn one i think that was really the big thing to come out of it and i think this weekend where you just mentioned it alexa but i think this week where maybe the red bull is going to struggle a little bit more although to be fair about uh practice one they were on hards they were doing i think more race trim type setups so like i I don't put a ton of stock into that i want to see like especially uh well that was the only practice of the weekend but i want to see sprint qualifying before i make like a real assessment about their pace but no it's maybe the turn for perez and if he can't get it together that that question about the seat which i know we'll talk about in a moment uh for the red bull two seat could get interesting well yeah with free practice one i was going to touch on this but they were one of the cars that didn't run on the soft and mediums, whereas like the, the Haas did and they ended up finishing in the top 10. So obviously that's not a clear indication of what we're going to see on Sunday, but at least you have to get your hopes up given how we've seen Verstappen just, you know, go cruise control after after taking the lead in pretty much every single race we've seen in the last couple months after Singapore. He's just been absolutely dominant. I know we had Coda where he only won by one second, but again, just 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 something to keep an eye on for, for this race. To touch on Perez, I... I, I want to kind of put myself in his situation. So he's probably thinking to himself, okay, my fans are here. It's a home race. I can't let Verstappen get the better of me. Okay. It's going to look so bad if I don't win. So let me do whatever I can to take the lead going into the first corner. He had the slipstream. I think if Terman was just a little bit wider, he probably would have got the better of current Verstappen. And in his mind, he's thinking, okay, imagine the drama that I'm going to, uh, bring on into this race if I if I end up taking the lead over Verstappen and over Leclerc into turn one. That was definitely his mindset. And I think he let the emotions get the better of him. Had he not done that, he probably would have finished really high up the pecking order. But then again, it's always in hindsight you do something different. And Leclerc obviously had nowhere to go as we saw going into turn one. He was literally squeezed in between Verstappen and Perez. And yeah, the, that was all she wrote. I, I felt so bad for him seeing him you know, very emotional, and it, it, it is a costly mistake, right? Because looking at it again, looking at it in hindsight right now, we had Hamilton who finished in P2, got the fastest lap, scored 19 points. That only now puts him 20 points behind P2, who 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 is that that that's a spot that's currently held held by Perez, right? So had that had that incident not happened in Coda where he got uh, uh, disqualified because of the plank inspection, he only would have been one point behind Perez and had he not uh, he'd ruined his race in Qatar, he'd be ahead of Perez right now. So mm-hmm. look, it, 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 realistically speaking, I think Hamilton uh, does end up getting past uh, Perez after Vegas. And it, it, it is unfortunate to see him, see him uh, 
in that kind of mood because I know how much he cares and I know how much he wanted to, to perform in front of his home crowd. And I guess obviously now with, with Danny Rick, he, he put on a stellar performance with Alpha Tower, as I mentioned in the previous episode. That clearly isn't the worst car on the grid anymore. We had Yuki Sinoda no. and da Danny Rick running in the points. And if Yuki didn't play so dumb as to think he was going to overtake Piastri in that corner, he probably could have finished in the top 10. And what's crazy about that is that with the Alpha Tower, they started the weekend last in the constructors. Mm -hmm. And one weekend could have put them four points behind Williams, which is yeah. crazy given how we've seen Alex consistently score points race by race. And one weekend could have put them, you know, four or five points behind behind Williams, which is which is I think wild. With, with Lando, you, you brought up a really good point. Like he he had a great weekend. If he ended up qualifying within that top five, he probably could have finished P2, worst case P3. The pace was really impressive. And that goes back to what we talked about with McLaren. Um, you said you said it was it was really impressive seeing him overtake those those cars at the back end of the field. Four months ago, that wasn't the case. Had he started in P17, he probably would have finished there. That's where they were competing, right? At the beginning of the season with the Haas, with the Williams, with the Alpha Tauri. And it just right. it just took him it just took him only a couple laps for him to to, to go up high higher up the pecking order and and, and get into the points. I think I think one of the interesting things about this race was the red flag, obviously, with with Magnuson shunting it into the walls, and then having to restart the race. I think it made for for an, for an interesting uh, Grand Prix, and then we had Verstappen, who who was on the hards to restart the race, you know, jump back into P1, and we were all probably optimistic, thinking that it was going to be Hamilton or Leclerc, um, uh, jump jumping into P1 after the restart, but now nah, it was just Verstappen again, showing why he's showing why he's the best driver on the grid. And to go back to Alpha Tauri, I think, um, Marshall, let me send it right back to you. Do you think that this performance by Danny Rick justifies a, a second seat in the Red Bull? Personally, I don't think so, but I, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on this. See, I, I, I think no, it, it doesn't in, in a vacuum. But I think the problem Red Bull has right now, and I, do, I don't know if this is being discussed enough, but Red Bull's entire driver program, uh, they're just their their driver academy right now is so weak in so many ways and it's it's just the baffling decisions they make with personnel but i know there's been a history of this if you followed up one for five years ten years you know that they just cannot get those two seats under control like they used to get talent pretty consistently i think ricardo back in the day back when it was vettel into uh verstappen ricardo when vettel left for ferrari in the mid-2010s i think that was the most talent i think any team has maybe ever had in their in their system at one time because ricardo was coming up through the ranks in gp2 um and then was immediately ready there to jump up um out of toro rosso back in the day and they had carlos Sainz at the time as well like that was a crazy program but now like you talk about the other options besides ricardo because ricardo has that pedigree right he's been in the sport for a long time uh he, he's you know a, a multiple time race winner uh i think i think six or seven um so he has that that championship chip experience but you talk about Sonoda and his mistake like I, I hear all this hype about how to a lot of people for a younger driver Sonoda's the shoe in for that Red Bull seat and I just don't understand it I feel like the guy has never he he has this like I guess explosive personality that a lot of people find intriguing because he's he's oftentimes can be a little bit hot-headed he's very he's very aggressive he's very like passionate about about the sport but he makes some silly mistakes he doesn't have super incredible pace and it's always felt to me like that alpha tower he has more pace than than 
people give it credit for. It's just the drivers can't get enough out of it. But because he was always so much better than his relatively lacking teammates the last couple of years, Sonoda just gets this weird credit that I don't think is anywhere near worth um, justification for perhaps the best car in Formula One, let alone a spot in the series. So I think Ricardo fighting with that, I mean, that's much more uh, palatable. And I think even even though we did go backwards in this week's race, qualifying P4, I think is more than could be said for Sonoda. And if that's what you want to justify is better enough than Perez, who we talked about in, I think, a previous episode. But yeah, he's just, he's not worthy of, of what is the best car in F1. But if he gets P2 in the standings, if he happens to pull it out, I mean, I don't think it's a huge, like, you know, slam the panic button type, uh, type moment yet. Um, but I think Liam Lawson, if they really want to take a flyer, is a guy that, he ha- they have in their system, obviously. He ran some races this year when Ricardo was out, looked really strong. Uh, the pace was just better than Sonoda all the way through in a car he wasn't experienced with. And it was only when Lawson came in that p- people started to give that AlphaTauri credit for like, oh, maybe this isn't the, you know, the, the, the bottom of the barrel. Maybe this isn't the caboose on the entire series. And, you know, th- that credit is just going down the drain now. And it, go- it goes into this conversation between Ricardo and Sonoda that I think is, is really wasting the talents of Lawson, who was so good in DTM, almost won the title in DTM, which for those of you that don't know, DTM is a sort of a GT type series, takes place in, in Europe, primarily in Germany. Um, former uh, well, Canadian driver, former IndyCar guy, Robert Wickens, who's a big name here, he used to be in it. But uh, man, there are just some really good drivers over there. And the fact that he jumped in that car, came P2 in the title by some nefarious means look up i think it's the 2021 dtm finale if you want to learn more about that chaos but no he almost won that series and then jumps in this car immediately has a ton of pace he just he adapts so well and i think that's what the red bull needs right now because we've learned perez just can't adapt to it that driving style isn't what he wants but he finds a way to figure it out and i think a guy like like lawson that has experience in these series that are like you know gt or um, just series with less downforce, less turning radius. That's the kind of driving style that'll thrive next to Max in that car. And yet they're not considering him for it. So I think Ricardo did great to his credit this weekend. I think definitely yeah. proved something, even if the race pace wasn't what it was on Saturday. But I think Red Bull is looking at all the wrong places. I think there is other driver talent. Either pick somebody else up or draft a guy like Lawson because their driver their driver academy is hurting right now. Yeah, if Perez ends up holding on to that P2 in the in the drivers, it would be the first time that Red Bull finished the season with a with a 1-2 in the in the driver standings. And and just to kind of touch on Ricardo's performance, like it was good, right? Like we're not here saying that uh it wasn't good enough to justify that that second seed in the Red Bull. Like it was still a pretty good performance. And I think I think part of what makes Ricardo the optimal uh replacement for Perez is that he's been there before. He knows the he knows the team, he knows the car, he has a good relationship with Verstappen. I think he I think what he understands and that Perez doesn't is that he can't beat Max in that car. And I think Ricardo going into next year is probably thinking, okay, if I can get myself in that second Red Bull seat, not that I can be a world champion, but I can definitely help the team in the constructors. Because as I mentioned in the previous episode, Mercedes, McLaren, Ferrari, they're all gonna be better next year. And if Perez just can't keep up with Verstappen's pace, and if he can't perform race by race and and, and give his team consistent podium places. They're going to end up dropping him, right? And Ferrari and Mercedes are going to end up catching up. And we might not see Red Bull first place in the Constructors. I mean, we haven't seen them first place in the Constructors after the summer break. Imagine what's going to happen next year during the start of the season when McLaren and Mercedes come with better machinery. But yeah, I, I think what, what what makes Ricardo the, the first choice as a replacement before Lawson is probably the fact that he's been there before. He knows the car and I think he knows he can't be Max. Obviously, he did 
uh, when Max was still a rookie and he was in his sophomore year. But after that, I, I, I think we kind of got a, got an idea of, of who Red Bull is leaning towards more. And it's clearly Verstappen based on what we're seeing this year. But yeah, I just think with, with Ricardo's driving style, with his relationship with the team, I, I do think that the team probably likes Ricardo a lot more than they like Perez, which is why they're they're probably looking to Ricardo first. But yeah, I, I don't think one race justifies it enough. Um, again, we I, I talked a little bit about Alfatari's uh, recent performance in, in Mexico. I, we still don't know whether that's going to be consistent. We might we might see them drop down the pecking order again in Brazil. Obviously, I, I'm not too familiar with how the Alfatari's uh, car characteristics suit the the track in Brazil, but. Yeah, we, we can't lean on this too much. I'm, my idea is that um, Paris still keeps the seat for 2024. And then if he keeps uh, putting on performances like he did in Mexico, like he did in Japan, like he did in Qatar, we'll probably see him get replaced now. Is Ricardo the best option? Probably, given given that he's been with the team before and, and he knows that he's not going to try to put himself in a position where he can beat Max as opposed to Perez, who, who thought he could compete with Max at the beginning of the season. But... All in all, I I, I, I do think that uh, they yeah, it, it, one race is enough to justify uh, justify that second seat. But then again, right? Like I, I was very impressed with Ricardo's performance. He almost overtook Russell in the end. And <laughs> going back to the F one production that that I saw, I again, me and Marshall are both in sport media for 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 those of you that don't know. And I think what I would have done there is probably put a, put up a single box of uh, uh, of the battle that was going on at the end of the race right obviously i know that that f1 needs to get you know the winning car across uh, that uh crossing that checkered flag to the best of their abilities but just uh, again at the end there with with ricardo literally being a millisecond off of russell and then they had uh they they, they, they had to move to max for just just to end up getting that 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 clip of him winning the Winning the race was pretty poor to say the least. They could have at least give it, given us a shot of whether or not Ricardo was going to pass Russell. Because if he did, and you know the the production had had Verstappen crossing the line instead of Ricardo overtaking Russell, <laughs> would would just would, would have sent me into an, into a frenzy, and and likely the rest of the F one collective would have would have been sent into a frenzy as well. So again with with Ricardo I'm just gonna finish off with this point I, I don't think this justifies justifies his seat I thought it was impressive but uh I think he'll have to wait until 2024 until he gets that red Bull seat if he even does yeah it's just a question of like what does the future of a Formula one look like because we're in a really interesting time with the driver market right now where again this this if Perez doesn't move this will be the first year in quite a few I believe it's Oh goodness, going on a decade now that we haven't had any driver moves in an offseason. And what that's kind of saying to me right now is that the teams are are really set in their ways about how they they don't think the drivers are the problem. They're not looking for drivers that are going to elevate and they're not looking for like future world champion talent. They're just content with good enough and they're going to hope that their car and their development with the new package is enough to get their team to the promised land. And and that's that's kind of frustrating for me as a fan because there is there is so much top talent that isn't, you know, existing veteran guys like Ricardo, like to be fair, I like Hulkenberg, but even Hulkenberg, like he's not really pushing the needle um, for Haas or things like that. But guys like, uh, like Teo Porcher, one of the top guys in the Renault slash Alpine system, he, I think he's possibly the top talent um, that in the Formula One feeder series right now. He's, he's not going to get a seat for next year. Uh, Felipe Drogovic, who was the prospect for Aston Martin. And it's very obvious who seat he should be taking um, as their, their guy who, Ooh, I want who. <laughs> yeah, who wonder who he ran one free practice and was like, like his six spots up on Lance Stroll and just it blows my mind. But 
Yeah, there's there. I, I in my opinion, we'll talk about it in future episodes, Alexa, because I know in future we're going to talk a little bit more about the driver lineups and what those look like um, relative to each other for each team. But yeah, I think there are five or six guys that sh- that are not Formula One worthy talents right now, and there's a lot of young talent that should be coming up to replace them. But right now, F one's in kind of a weird stalemate where we're we're content with good enough. Guys are trying to take risks and and push the needle. So that 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 kind of frustrates me, and I hope we see change for that in the future. But whether Perez or Ricardo have that seat for next year, I think for how much Red Bull has fumbled their driver program you know it's good enough in my mind but not 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 advisable could always do better right i guess just going back to mexico uh in my opinion i did think it was an entertaining race to say the least we had a lot of overtakes uh a lot of drama especially going into turn one i mean kind of kind of of looking at this from from our perspective obviously we're 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 really big f1 fans that that love a good race weekend where we see a lot of overtakes uh, a lot of drama a lot of unexpected surprises with Me- with the Mexican Grand Prix, I know uh, I know it's a, a track that historically isn't a isn't a great place for overtaking. Now, as as a, as an F one casual, it's kind of slowly leaning into uh, into being a, a more of like an expert slash journalist of the sport. I, I I think with a lot of these races, they need to do a better job of creating uh, better overtaking opportunities in, in specific tracks, and Mexico is definitely one of them. Now, I, I was listening to some experts talking about how. I, I know I know you mentioned that that the uh, the Mexican Grand Prix is one of the best races in terms of attendance for the sport, and they're obviously not going to take it off of the uh, off of the calendar if they're generating a lot of revenue and a lot of hype from the from the weekend. But do you think that this is a track that should be uh, should be put on the calendar for 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 future years, or do you think they need to need to do some revamping with with the straights and with the with the low speed to high speed corners? I. I think again, it's it's an in in a vacuum. Yes, uh, I think absolutely it does. Uh, they they I think the biggest thing they need to take away is the same thing that they learned in Abu Dhabi and and Barcelona, which is in today's era of ground effects and how crucial downforce is to the speed of cars right now, where they're so downforce dependent rather than horse horsepower dependent, like the old cars. Um, you you can't have a lot of like long straights leading into long sweeping corners that's that's like how you get arrow wash that's how you get um a lack of passing and inability to run behind the car in front and that's not that's actually not the problem with mexico it's a very unique case where as we saw this past weekend the difficulty for the cars was in the fact that you would get these like low speed corners which are typically great opportunities after long straightaways for passing and that's why we saw so many passes into turn one where perez had his incident and turn three but that's it. Those are the only two heartbreaking 90 plus degree turns um, after a long straightaway on the entire track. And then the rest of it's just a write off. And it, it becomes so DRS dependent because there's no no real opportunity for for great you know driver um, finesse because the, all the corners are just so slow. So it's it's weird. I, I don't really know what you would do to change it. Like I'm looking at the map right now. And the other limitation, too, is a lot of the time the infrastructure built around the, the track itself. Like you're talking about the literal track surface limits you and what you can do to reorganize it. Like the turn one, I don't think you can really change that because I think that's the best break zone of the track. Right. But that like second to third sector section, I mean, there's never any passing through the arena, but it kind of inherently there can't be. And besides that, just that that one middle sort of straightaway. I mean, even they put DRS in this year that I don't think was maybe we had it last year. We definitely didn't two years ago. And that still hasn't helped. So I don't know. It's it's a weird like middle ground where there's some tracks that have potential for improvement. Like I think Abu Dhabi, uh, the uh, 
Yes, Marina Circuit has already been improved immensely from how bad it was a few years ago. So changes can be made for the positive, but I just worry maybe Mexico doesn't have the potential for that improvement, but it does get, again, great turnout numbers. So I think everyone's happy with it. I think we're talking about it. The moments are big enough, and I think it's unique because it's the highest uh, it's the highest altitude of any track on the calendar. So the highest top speeds of the year happen at Monaco because of the thinness of the air. So it's, it's interesting. It has a lot of unique characteristics, but I just worry, yeah, maybe the potential for improvement isn't where it is for some other tracks that we want to say i'll pick some corners but that's not always possible yeah and the company is obviously going to be really happy with uh with the revenue perspective like you mentioned earlier they they garner a lot of attendance from this race a, 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 a part of it does have to do with checo being on the grid and maybe that does change when the when he does end up retiring within the next couple of years and and, and and as like a, as like a newcomer to, to the f1 community i Obviously, the, the, there are certain races on this calendar year that I'm just seeing for the first time. Of course, I'm familiar with tracks like Monza and Monaco that I have seen in the past, even when I wasn't watching Formula One, because I know it's like a historic track that a lot of people in the F1 community love. But at the same time, like watching this Mexican Grand Prix and looking at the track layout, it, it, it's, it's, it's not as entertaining as some of the other races. And I'm just thinking maybe for future references, like, are we going to modify certain tracks where it's historically hard to overtake on? Like even Baku, I know, uh, I know they ended up... Uh, uh, cutting down the straight and, and I asked myself I'm like why like I I love watching F1 because of the overtaking opportunities it's not fun watching tracks watching cars just follow each, each other on a track right so again like you, you made some great points but I, I'm thinking not just for Monaco but maybe for for all tracks now this might be a bit of a a bit of a, a rookie take but I think we need to do a better job with with creating more overtaking opportunities at certain track layouts because we're hearing the same things from fans over and over again like this track's not good we need to change it why are we coming here and i, I kind of have the same perspective but uh yeah it, it, it is a very nuanced approach to say the least but again unfortunately that is all the time we have for today folks marshall is there anything you want to add until we uh until we wrap things up here uh, no, I would just say that uh, if, if you're living in the future and you know that the uh, first practice for Brazil was a sign of things to come, then, then you get to snicker at us and, uh, and and consider our lack of, or at least my lack of, of hesitancy about the Red Bull pace, uh, funny looking back. And I, I hope that, I hope first practice is a sign that we're in for an entertaining weekend. And, and I stand by my pick. If there's any place, Hamilton will keep his uh, streak of wins in a season alive. This is the, uh, this is his best chance. Yeah. Well, I guess that's all the time we have for today, folks. Again, I'm Alexa. And I'm Marshall Crocker. And we'll see you guys next week for episode four. Take care. Have a good one, guys.